Arthur Woods, today's guest, is the best-selling author of Hiring for Diversity and co-founder of Matheson, a venture-backed technology platform equipping employers with everything they need to manage their diversity hiring efforts. He'll share insights about his work and his superpowers. I'm your host, Devin Thorpe. Welcome to the Superpowers for Good show. Arthur, thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. It's been a while since we had a chance to chat, and I'm looking forward to catching up. Good to see you, Devin. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you. You know, you do a lot of amazing things. You've just been doing uh, extraordinary stuff, but your your, uh, your new book, uh, Matheson's Progress on you know growing, raising money, and helping companies build diversity, these are cool things. What? What drew you to this work? Yeah, Devin, it's a good question. You know, I, I'm personally in the LGBTQ community. Um, yeah, I grew up in a really, uh, you know, low-income family, um, an amazing mother who had nothing but love, but also we were, we were resource constrained. Um, and uh, I entered the, the workforce um, and honestly uh, overheard a homo- homophobic slur when I first walked into my, one of my very first job interviews. And um, I felt like I didn't belong. You know, there were there were you know years in my early corporate career where I w- didn't feel like I could be my full self at work, and uh, I, I thought about the fact that we spend the majority of our lives at work, and if work is not a place where you belong or you're you're your full best self, um, you're not. You're, it's not only not great for you; it's not great for society because think of what you know sort of impairs us in our jobs every day. So. I really felt strongly about ways, you know, I could kind of play a role in making work a place that works for everyone, that represents society. Um, and organizations, I think, have woken up to this need that, you know, their their teams reflect diversity that exists in society, but also are places where people thrive. And so that's really been my major impetus for doing this work. Yeah. Uh, what are the key messages of your book? Well, the how-tos that the practical steps we can implement? Yeah, it's a great question, Devin. So, I mean, we, we had a chance to write Hiring for Diversity uh, this last year. We came out in August of 2021. One of the major uh, you know, themes of the book is that we need to be very intentional about how we look at diversity itself. We found that a lot of leaders take a myopic view of what diversity is, largely based on things that they believe that they can see. And what that does uh, inherently is it, it sort of limits diversity, um, you know, to, to the idea that it's not invisible, you know, that there, there, there may be entire communities we can't see on LinkedIn that are part of certain groups, but they are, right? And we have to acknowledge that, the disability community, the LGBTQ community. Um, it also doesn't acknowledge that there's intersectional diversity. We could be part of multiple communities. And so we tried to write about, you know, 12 underrepresented job seeker communities to really expand that definition of diversity. Um, I think a second major piece was that we found that the work of increasing diversity in an organization is typically very siloed to only a select few in an organization. And that's typically HR, it's typically DEI leadership. Those teams have been very resource constrained to date. So our whole model was, you know, we need to, to democratize responsibility beyond just those leaders to account for everyone, to include everyone. And uh, a major part of, I think, what we believe needs to change for this work to be sustainable. A lot of people struggle with some aspects of diversity. They feel like it's being forced on them. Mm -hmm. uh, And 
So I feel like we need to pause for just a second uh, to hear the sales pitch for diversity. Mm. You know, you and I take it for granted. I think we just assume everyone appreciates that we and that we need diversity and that it's better inherently. Yeah. Um, you're the expert. What's the sales pitch? Well, you know, the, the great news in our space is that the last 10 years, 15 years, if anything, has led us to many more conclusions about the fact that there's a strong ROI for diversity. We know that businesses that are representative outperform others in terms of business performance and revenue. We know that um, organizations that are more diverse are more likely to innovate. Um, they're more likely to retain uh, their team members. Um, there's just so uh, much that is pointing to the fact that you know, representative uh, and, and diverse organizations achieve greater business performance. But I think there's also a more uh, philosophical point, which is, you know, do we, are we building organizations that reflect the communities we're trying to serve, the customers we're trying to deliver to? Um, also, diversity of thought, right? Are we creating in, in, in organizations where we don't have homogenous ways of thinking, where we can see different perspectives, and that is actually what keeps us relevant, right? So, I find that we have a lot of leaders today who have kind of woken up to the, the you know, okay, there's an ROI for diversity. Great. It's better for business. But there's another piece, which I think is even more strategic around it being really what is the competitive advantage for business. Yeah. And let's talk about that. Uh, the competitive advantage. How, how does a company go from making diversity uh, a modest plus to a genuine competitive advantage? Well, the, the first thing is that a company can't just assume if, if I bring new, you know, underrepresented team members into the mix and throw them in that uh, everyone will be successful and that we'll innovate, right? It really requires not only uh, bring people in, but also creating environments where people feel empowered to speak up. And so this idea of psychological safety is really critical, right? That we bring people into an organization, we invite them to contribute, we invite them to actually challenge. Um, we, we create environments that are rooted in vulnerability, not simply just command and control, come to work and conform to your job, um, which in many cases, the traditional way of, you know, the, the traditional construct of work has reinforced, right? Uh, a fear-based environment where people have to conform. Um, and I think that's a, that's a long game for leaders, right? It's not simply just about performative, recruitment to bring people in. It's actually about creating environments where people will be set up to be successful. Um, and that takes great work. It takes inspiring leadership. It takes management that has the foresight to care about their people in a whole new way. It, it's deliberate, isn't it? That's what you're telling us is that yeah. it's, it's deliberate. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then, so what are the actions? Let's get really basic. What are the actions that that organizations, that companies take to be deliberate, to implement uh, pro-diversity uh, strategies? What are the tactics? Yeah, yeah. There, there are a number. Um, it actually starts with what we track and what we set goals around. So 76% of organizations today don't set diversity goals. Uh, we can imagine how many make progress on diversity when you know three out of four don't actually even set goals to begin with, right? Part of the reason that we have, I think we have an issue. So we can't manage what we can't measure. The first thing we would say is start to get measurements, right? We have a, we have a, a new um, system that's called our equity index that gives folks the ability to audit their, their talent practices through the lens of DEI. Um, 
powerful because we start to look at our, our policies and our programs and we figure out what do we need to change to be more equitable. Um, survey our people, ask them for feedback, um, get a sense of where we're starting in terms of diversity. We're not going to know where we need to go if we don't know where we, we are today, right? Um, and, and so that we believe is, is number one. Um, number two is set goals, right? We find that so many employers say we have a diversity issue. We need to go fix that. They don't actually set the intention for what needs to change. So part of the, the real you know, opportunity is to say every quarter, let's, let's set a couple intentions for what we will improve. Is it building a more equitable interview process? Is it um, you know, changing the way that we're sourcing, changing the way that we're training you know, our team members to address unconscious bias in the way that they write their job descriptions, right? Um, so so the, those intentions become really critical. There are a couple, there are two areas that we believe are, are most essential as organizations think about their diversity strategy when they're setting their goals. One is that we should be really intentional about how we actually define our job requirements. So much goes into, you know, when we're first hiring for a job, we, we, we oftentimes will let the credentials do the vetting for us. And we'll say, we need someone with a master's degree with these exorbitant years of experience that is from, you know, a, a prestigious employer that we recognize. And when we set these exorbitant requirements, we basically limit the pool typically to a very homogenous group of job seekers. So we, we've talked a lot about sort of eliminating these exorbitant requirements to focus on hiring for potential, hiring for transferable skills, and looking unconventionally at the way that we assess our talent um, to, to recognize that an, un, an underrepresented job seeker might not have been afforded the same opportunities as the next person, but could have all the right skills and experiences to be successful in the job. So that's a that big is, one. Yeah, that is a huge one. That is a huge one. I'm glad you called that out. Are there more? I don't want to interrupt your train of thought. Well, the, the second one I would say um, that that is is critical is is really uh, around how we structure our interviews. So you know, we've we've hopefully we've scoped our jobs out correctly and, and and equitably, and we start to engage candidates and source candidates, and we get to this critical interview stage where, if we think about it in a hiring process, most of our time is in interviews. You know. And, and for a lot of leaders that have interviewed people for years and years and years, they, they have their system in their mind that has worked well for them. And for the vast majority, they make up their interviews as they go. They walk into uh, an interview, um, not even remembering that maybe sometimes the role they're interviewing for, asking job seekers questions on the fly. And that experience can be very inconsistent and inequitable. So we talk a lot about the, the power of structuring an interview, of preparing in advance, of knowing the questions you're going to ask, having a consistent way of assessing the answers you hear, and that actually being a large part of what eliminates or reduces unconscious bias. And that unconscious bias uh, is really something that I think a lot of people can say the words. Yeah. And part of what lacks, though, is most, well, may, I shouldn't say most, but many people, I'm confident that many people don't realize that they are guilty of this, right? Even yes. though they can, they can talk about unconscious bias and implicit bias, uh, they don't realize that they do it. Uh, and, right. and it is so painful to me when I catch myself thinking, doing, saying things that, that violate my values at a high level but that reveal, you know, some of the coding from my youth, et cetera, et cetera, has left me with these implicit biases that I can't shake instantly, right? That's Just right. because I decide, uh, how do you coach people to 
move past the recognizing and get to where they can actually change those things or, or can they? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, absolutely. So, I mean, I think you called it out, Devin. I mean, the first thing to note is that we are all uh, guilty of bias. It's pervasive in every decision we make. Um, there are, you know, over 140 different types of biases. Um, and, you know, these the stem from the fact that we, you know, we, we receive 11 million bits of information in any moment, and we can only consciously process 40 of those, right? So if we think about all the, you know, it, all the sort of involuntary decisions that we make in, in a hiring process, for example, many of them are rooted in shorthand heuristics to make decisions quickly, you know? And I think if we vilify uh, bias as a concept, you know, we start to, you know, people start to say, I can rid myself of it. So I think the biggest thing to your point is that we recognize it's pervasive in everything we do. If we, if we go off of subjective decision-making and a lack of structure in things like the interview and the hiring process, we're going to likely have a lot of subjectivity and a lot of bias. So what we have to do first and foremost is structure, have a very deliberate structure and a plan in, in the way that we hire. And it's rooted in us slowing down, being deliberate. I love the way that you said that. And, um, and, 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 and trying to be as, as, as measured as possible. Um, we are inevitably going to, you know, even in a structured process, we're going to you know, meet someone and, and realize, oh, you went to my alma mater or, uh, or you relate to the interview. You know, and and the, we already start to attribute value to things, right? And so we have to just, to your point, slow down and just try to be as aware as possible that, you know what, I'm, my brain is going into this direction of starting to, you know, plus or minus this candidate for something that may not have anything to do with their qualifications. Let's slow down and try to consciously think about what's causing that. And it's always going to happen. But I think the more that we're aware of it, and to your point, I, I love like, you know, the whole concept of kind of going back and, 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 and testing our assumptions, right? Um, and I, and I'll tell you, I, I, you know, part of the way that we really do that is through case studies, right? So when we have an example, when we were, when, when, when I have an example, I had, I, I heard a, an interview, an inter interviewer the other day who said a person was late to a job interview, right? And they already, they already docked the person points later on. They found out that the person had gotten in a car accident on the way to the job interview, right? And already, again, they were starting to say this person is flaky. They're late and they didn't hear the full story. And later on, they did, and it made a ton of sense, right? And so I think the more that we have these, these case studies and these stories, it gives us ammunition to make more informed decisions. And, and again, maybe not jump to conclusions, right? Which is largely what happens when we make unconscious bias decisions. Yeah, that's uh, such, a, such a good point. I, I, you've been doing this for a while now. I wonder if, if at Matheson you've developed uh, something of a track record you can brag about. Uh, you could say company X was at this point, we worked with them for X time and they, they arrived at the next point. And, yeah. and it's better. Can you, yeah. do you have that yeah. case study for us? Yeah. Well, you know, there, there are a number. I mean, I'll tell you that um, what's been really awesome to see, honestly, Devin, is that we see organizations that are just on this journey in such a powerful way and, and the changes that they've made. So I, I look at an organization like HelloFresh, right? We've worked with them for so many years. Um, they've been high growth. Um, you know, they, they've, they've tripled, you know, doubled in size in, in a lot of the, the years that we've, we've worked with them. And um, they came in and said, look, we want to build a DEI strategy from the ground up. They used our, you know, our, our equity index to, to, to build their framework. They said, we want to cast a wider net. We want to look at new dimensions of diversity. They've expanded their pipelines tremendously. 
They said, we want to train our team to be more equitable and we want to get our leadership team involved. They've done training. You know, we've done training together across their teams, inclusive of their leadership teams globally and in the United States. They haven't just said this is an issue of frontline hiring uh, managers or, or recruiters. They've said, we need to make sure we norm this behavior at the leadership team level. So I look at an organization like that that's just been really transformational and has kind of embraced the full strategy. And, uh, and the organization, I think, has a lot to show for it um, years later. Yeah. What are some of the, the benefits that you think they're getting from this? Can you identify any outcomes to brag about there? You know, um, the benefits more than anything, I believe, are not just in terms of representation and in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the outward ability to, to you know, uh, to, to market this work. It's really cultural, you know. The moment you see, I look at a great organization like Horizon Media, we've worked with for years and years. They made this bold statement that, and they said, we have to basically tell our people that this, this work, this DEI work is not just the talent team. It's not just the diversity leadership. It's everyone. You know, they, they set up structures to basically engage their entire team in the efforts. Um, and, and it's become this collectively owned cultural, um, you know, sort of uh, process. And it's been so cool to see that you know, that, that transition of ownership of just of not only am I aware that this is going on, but I feel part of it. I feel personally responsible for it. Um, and that's the kind of transformation that we want to see happen in every organization, right? That this, yeah. this, go, this becomes a movement. This work should literally become a movement in every organization. Uh, that, that is a, a huge difference from where most companies are, isn't it? So that's, that's a great goal. Uh, that's exactly right. Arthur, you, you've done... A lot of cool stuff for such a young guy. Uh, what is your superpower? You know, Devin, it's a it's a good question. Um, I would say my superpower is uh, is is having um, kind of relentless focus and and uh, and and not really believing that any job is too small. I think early on, especially in the growth of an early stage organization, um, you have to kind of leave humility at the door and be willing to you know, take out the trash, shake hands, you know, everything. <laughs> um, and if there's too much ego, if there's too much, you know, this job's too small for me, it's below my pay grade. There's a lot that just won't get done. So um, I'm kind of one of those folks who I, I pride myself on being willing to, to do, you know, whatever it takes to, to, to meet our goals and make an impact. And, um, and, and also, I think to signal to my team that I, I would never ask anyone to do anything that I'm not willing to do myself, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's dig a, a little deeper on that. I'm yeah. intrigued by by that. Um, can you think of an example where your willingness to to do some of those hard, difficult, painful things has paid off? Yeah. Well, you know, I will tell you. I'll tell you both. I, there there are times where it's paid off, and there are times where it actually has not. Right. So okay. um, there there have been countless examples where. Uh, and I'm, I'm just thinking of where, you know, um, you know, something fell by the wayside, it fell off someone's radar, um, I was able to kind of chase it down and get it done. And it wouldn't have happened otherwise, you know, and I hear I know those stories. Mm -hmm. And it's, it, it's everything up until like an invoice not getting paid all the way to more kind of, you know, uh, large things that we need to make sure are addressed. Um, I'll tell you, it, it becomes an issue, though, when when, you know, you're used to kind of, you know, you're used to doing anything and, and everything and no job being too small, but um, then also needing to empower everyone around you to take ownership because it's very easy as that person who's used to just executing 
to not, you know, cr- create the space for the team to execute. And that, that's been a good lesson for me to never, you know, again, default to the team and, and make sure they're, they're owning and, and empowered to, to, to act. And it doesn't, you know, you're, you're not sort of crowding them too much. And I've definitely made that mistake, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, it it's, feels to me like there is a real push in American business uh, and maybe globally to get us a little closer to that uh, four-hour work week uh, and not with the outcome of the desire, right, to not be bothered with all of these little pesky things like work. (laughs) There's this goal to make every job just uh, fun and easy, just do the fun parts and delegate the work to someone else. Um, So I I love where you're going with this idea of, of taking responsibility. I, I, sometimes we hear the term servant leadership and that seems harmonious as an idea, but do you see that the team responds well to seeing you do the hard and difficult thing sometimes? They do. They do. But I, I will say that, you know, and again, it's, I think, I think there's, there's a real power in no job being too small. Again, no job uh, ever, ever feeling like it's across the you know, across the chasm of, uh, of, of, of not being accessible. But I, I, I do think there are times where, uh, it can also come, come back to bite us, you know, and, and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where, where the team, the team around us has to be inspired and empowered. Right. Yeah. How do you, how do you balance that where you're demonstrating your willingness to do the hard things and yet empowering yeah, others yeah. to do their fair share and feel ownership? Well, yeah. And, and actually I'll, 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 I'll maybe round out the, the conversation with this, I think I balance it by constantly asking folks around me, you know, are you empowered? Are you, are you feeling as much ownership as I do? And if, if you're not, how do I connect the dots and how do I clear the space? You know, and I think there's a lot, I, you know, I, as a, I, as a leader am working to learn to, to do, to more, to do more there. Um, but I think it's constantly trying to communicate and check in with the team, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's great. Um, Uh, great advice, I think, because uh, I think it, you know, there are two sides to that coin. And I think yeah. you, you, you're mastering how to, to play that well. Um, Arthur, thank you so much. Oh, Devin, thank you this. so much for the conversation today. This It's just always such a joy spending time with you. You're, you're the way that you host and, and, and bring people together. It always inspires me. Well, thank you. You're great. Before we wrap up, though, would you take just a minute and and tell people how they can learn more about Mathis and where they can find your book? Yes, uh, yes. And how to connect with you, maybe on social media, et cetera? Absolutely. So matheson.io is where you can learn about us and hiringfordiversity.com is where you can learn about the book. And uh, and you can actually connect with me on social media through those, those mediums. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for the time today, Devin. This was awesome. Thank you. We wish you every success in the great work that you're doing to help us create a more diverse and productive and happy society. You're the best, Devin. I appreciate it. See you soon. (laughs) All righty. Let's do some good. Thank you for tuning in to the Superpowers for Good show. Twice each week, we host changemakers who share their impact, insights, and superpowers Don't miss another episode. Subscribe today at superpowersforgood.com. That's superpowers, number four, good, 
www.superpowersforgood.com. Be super empowered. Get your copy of the book, Superpowers for Good, as an ebook, audiobook, paperback, or hardcover edition via your favorite online retailer. Interested in having me speak to your company, organization, or association? Visit devonthorpe.com. Then let's talk. Now, keep using your superpowers for good. Together, we can reverse climate change, improve global health, and eradicate poverty.